Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Classroom. Tonight's a long topic, right? How to deal with player meltdown and an introduction to large-scale combat, or because of large-scale combat. Uh, we are joined by some wonderful guests, uh, mostly uh, Ruby from ActionGames.com. Uh, he talks about his stuff for a little bit at the beginning. We go through our bits and talks about the topic, uh, and then we wrap it up. So it should be fun. Hope you enjoy. All right. Hello. Welcome to tonight's uh, classroom, ladies and gentlemen. We're joined by a whole bunch of fantastic guests. Our star guest is Ruby Bellum 79 uh, You're a TikToker. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Uh, I'm from Iowa, and I've been gaming a long time, probably 29 years or so. Uh, mainly D&D, but we've gotten into a lot of other things, and I represent on TikTok our uh, company, Action Games Publishing, which we produce books, uh, kind of generic genre for lots of different settings and uh, scenarios. Hey, that sounds... That sounds like what we do, except we don't make books, we just make pamphlets. We make the little things. Eventually, but not yet. Some of ours are, are pamphlet books, yeah, like a couple small little guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's super exciting. Uh, obviously, guys, check this out when you get a chance. Uh, but we're going to jump into tonight's topic. Obviously, I'm joined with a couple other our regular guests. we got Younger here, we got Iron here, we got Lawrence here. Y'all know who they are, so I'm, I'm going to skip the introductions for them. Well, ha ha. Uh, because this topic's kind of a goofball one. So we, uh, we did our voting this week and got a draw. Uh, and our super combined topic, if you can read the title, uh, is how to deal with player meltdown when you introduce uh, large-scale combat. Um, and in all honesty, I'll probably just talk about these two things separately and work off the title as we go from there. But let's let, I'm going to hit it off the bat, right? So first up, what is player meltdown? Um, I'm going to ask all of you guys really quick. What what do you consider player meltdown? And then I'll I'll finish off. So I'm going to start with star guest and then jump around. So, Ruby. Player meltdown. Uh, I guess this could be classified in a number of different ways for me. You know, it can be um, miscommunications. This happens at my own table somewhat. Uh, where, you know, two people are discussing a particular topic in the game or even the rules, you know, sometimes you can get a little heated and uh, one person or the other will get exacerbated and just, you know, lose control of their emotions when trying to explain their point or not understanding the other person's point. And then the other scenario would be uh, where perhaps the uh, situation has become overwhelming and uh, or I've, I've experienced this with some inexperienced players that I played with on Roll20 where uh, I was introducing them to 3.0 D&D for the first time and they had been 5th edition players and the crunch was a little bit much for them, you know, and I, I said, it's okay, you know, we can slow it down and, and I'll help you out with whatever you need, you know. But yeah, they were, they were getting a little heavy on the math. <laughs> Oh man, heavy on the math. We know that one, right, younger? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have arguments. a buddy. I have a buddy who still counts on his fingers. It's okay. <laughs> so, speaking of heavy on the math, younger, do you got any additions or uh, other ideas that correlate with player meltdown? Player meltdown. Uh, 
player meltdown. Uh, well, I mean, he kind of hit the head on like when two players disagree or a player disagrees with the DM. Um, the biggest part I can really say is I think our system is is pretty well like mitigated, and that's like a we all understand that at the end of the day, what the DM says is supposed to be how it goes. However, we also have an argument die rule. First, we'll explain our circumstance to the DM from our perspective, and he might change his mind. You know, there's a chance. It's not guaranteed, right? Um, it doesn't have to be. But then we also have a, like, hey, rock, paper, scissors, dice uh, on ties, the DM wins, and when the DM wins, the DM wins, and on an off chance that you get paper and he gets rock, you win. Um, and that can settle some of the more, like, small things, you know. I like that. And it, it's it's fair. It's not really it's in the DM's favor, obviously, like every casino. But it's more fair than not having the same. <laughs> the you know? house so, always wins, baby. And so, um, I think that that's a good way to mitigate it. Uh, another thing you could do, especially if it's like an in-person table, is be like, "I came hey, in, like, let's take a let's take a snack break, bathroom break, <laughs> you know, uh, like." Chill down for a minute, get a breath of fresh air, you know. Sometimes just taking a step back, think about it for a moment is, is enough to be able yeah. to calm down. Emotions can ride high at the table sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our imaginary I mean, friends I'm, must I'm, be kept I'm safe. definitely one of those people who's like, but this, but this, the rule here, da 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 da. So, like, I can, I can get carried away sometimes. I mean, all right, jumping over to Iron. Iron, you got anything to add? Other types of player meltdowns, other stuff that you would consider a meltdown that isn't necessarily like that someone flipping a table? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there there are definitely two types of meltdowns. I think one is, yeah, you know, angry nerd, flip table, rar. But um, I think the quiet meltdown is also another option. Like some people don't really get mad. They just kind of get like shut off. So like I've I've seen it at my table, people, you know, either get mad at a rule or get mad at a situation and kind of just get really quiet and like they're not really engaging anymore or like they um maybe as player choices kind of go out of their way to sabotage the party because they're just like, you know, screw it, nuke mode. Yeah, they're um, feeling resentful. <laughs> right. And so it's it's I, I think as a DM it's important to also spot that and like maybe figure out what's bothering them or kind of you know sprinkle something in their favor and be, make them happy again but um yeah i i, I think that the quiet meltdown is also something to watch out for the quiet meltdown oh man i I'm, when i talk i got some stuff on this one uh jumping over lawrence you got any any last minute additions watch or ideas for, for the quiet one? ones oh um like when panic sets in and they start clinging to every detail like you throw a hard encounter at them and they're, they're used to winning everything. And it's like, well, you know, I, I lasso the dragon. Is it pinned down? Was, no, you, you weigh like 150 pounds. And this is a huge creature that, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And they're just like nitpicking and, and reaching and reaching and reaching. And um, their thoughts aren't like clicking. They're not, um, Oh, just grabbing at anything they possibly can they're not calming down and thinking about the situation and um 
just like onset panic and then it goes from um being afraid to being angry at all the roles and just like not calming down and enjoying the scenario I, don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty accurate description. So to kind of kind of pull some of your guys' ideas together, right? So obviously player meltdown happens in several ways. You got the loud table flip that we talked about. We have the competitive argumentative uh, back and forth that can be a meltdown. They start nitpicking every single rule you try to go with uh, or just aren't listening to you as a DM. And then we have the quiet one, right? And I think as a DM, the quiet one is the worst, right, to deal with. Because you can deal with a loud player or someone who gets ridiculous and be like, you need to step away and deal with stuff. Like, chill. But a man who just starts quietly plotting in the corner to kill off important NPCs or just start to become a pain in the butt at the table because they didn't get their way. um, Or they were upset with the decision or whatever whatever caused the meltdown, right? In this case, introducing large-scale warfare and they feel bored because the rules are, they don't get to be superheroes. um, Or something along those lines. Uh, is is dangerous for the table, right? Um, but not unavoidable, because, uh, as we like to preach around here, talk to your players and talk to your DMs, right? Your GMs, whatever. Uh, and it'll solve a lot of problems. If you're feeling upset or, or needing something else or something wasn't done right, even if it's not right then at the table, come back later and talk to them. Send them a text if you're friends enough to text your DMs. Or if you're on Discord, Discord them. You know what I mean? And be like, hey... This was this, this, and this. I didn't like this because blank. Uh, and that'll that'll mitigate most meltdowns on both sides. And as a DM, if you recognize someone is having a rough time, um, get past the loud meltdown and then have a conversation with them. Now, if they completely go off the rails, right? Again, table flipping, cursing people out, fighting, whatever, and you got to boot them from the table, don't worry about it. They ain't worth your time. Um, you know what I mean? I know people have bad days, and if you think they're worth giving a shot... That's on you. Uh, but generally, if you have a meltdown over playing uh, make-believe with your friends, you got to sort some things out before you can come back to the table. At least at, at my table, right? Well, and I think, Rook, too, you, oh, you have ahead. a good system. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think you have a good system with, like, when we do our sessions, like, the second the session ends, you know, after the recording stops, here's a peek behind the curtain. Uh, um, you, you ask us like, Hey, you know, what worked, what didn't work? What did you guys like? You know what? Yeah. And you kind of address it like right away. That way that stuff doesn't fester between sessions and like, you know, people don't carry that over for weeks. I do like yeah, to, I, a, I like it. Sorry, I had a, uh, DM on roll 20 who was a young and experienced DM. And I was really impressed with his ability to do that very thing. He, held like a little questionnaire after the gaming session to make sure you know he did a good job and he was trying to get tips and stuff like that from everybody and i actually have a a a small example of a recent meltdown uh, or a mini meltdown and it has it's kind of a fourth example of uh this this week when we were playing my brother's character i uh retconned his backstory and he got upset about that, you know, and he was like, oh, I just because he, he feels like it's lazy storytelling. And uh, and I was like, and it almost didn't really derail anything because we're we've been playing together for 20 years. But he was upset about it. And then he let it go. He, he went through his stages of grief pretty quickly and let it go by five minutes on. But, uh, you know, it was really like kind of the one of those things where 
it was important to the current story going on and he uh could have very well just like oh fuck this you know and just <laughs> went his own way <clears throat> on the on the issue so it was like a, a role-playing meltdown you know like he became disenfranchised with his character because i changed his backstory ah I, <clears throat> that's a that's a hard thing to deal with you know what i mean when you was a DM, me? yeah 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 um oh yeah that's that's a hard thing to deal with as a dm because like sometimes you craft a story and it seems to fit and flow really well and you change something and the players are like nah fam that that isn't what i wanted for them uh, originally, when, when we first started doing the argument dice thing, that's 100% what it was for, is if I, as a DM, yeah. overstepped my boundaries and made that, hey, you now have a radiant tolerance because you've been blessed by an angel or something silly, and the character was like, I am of the darkness, I do not need radiance, stop. Yeah. Um, and this was even less game-changing, it was just that his backstory was that he used to be uh, half-orc, half-elf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I found this race of orcs that were kind of more savage looking and ma- matched his character description quite well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, in secret, your mother actually was uh, half one of these kind of orcs, you know, and it, it fit really well. This, this story that I had developed obviously later on. And I told him, you know, obviously, you know, backstories are great, but you can't expect me when we're DMing at first level to think about this kind of interesting thing 10 levels later you know necessarily when i don't even know if the campaign's gonna go that long you know i find that kind of gming a little more flowing and better storytelling because when you try to tell a prearranged story it doesn't go your way sometimes you end up dropping it or or changing it anyway where uh, if i come up with something that matches your backstory many years later I might use it, you know, if I find that it's going to be an interesting twist. I agree. That's a good way to do it. <clears throat> oh, sorry. I got the, I got the flim. So, Have you ever heard of the Marvel Universe? Dude, I uh, love Marvel. Classic we're Marvel. All of, we're all of the best percentage. Per universe. <laughs> Shut up, <Yager. laughs> that, That's exactly how I run my D&D campaigns. It's just an alternate universe that I was happy with the ending as opposed to how Roger's ending. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Look, we all love Yeah, Jake. Marvel is a wonderful system. Uh, yeah, multiverse stuff is, is, is fun. Um, not to diverge too much because, uh, you know, we got to stick on topic. Let's talk about large-scale battles for a little bit and we'll come back to player meltdown. Excuse me, situations and things. So, uh, Large-scale combat. There's a couple systems out there that do this really well and have really well-defined rules, or at least semi-defined rules. Uh, My favorite example is Legend of the Five Rings, the TTRPG. Not the card game, the TTRPG. Uh, Its mass combat system covers stuff really well. You can do large armies and sections and things like that. And then we, uh, specifically me and Younger, have both homebrewed various systems for large-scale combat. Uh, that uses more percentile die kind of thing uh, to simulate the ebb and flow in combat and account for luck and positioning and all that fun stuff. Um, So I'm going to give you a couple of those instead of the Legend of the Five Rings version because you should go get one of those cool rule books yourself and check it out. Hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag the company's dead. So there's no chance of sponsorship. (laughs) But 
Uh, jokes aside, it's a really great role-playing game, and you can still find the books all over the place. Fantasy Flight is now just part of Asmodeus, and I don't think they're going to do anything with the, the stuff. Except for maybe turn it into a 5e module. It was a rumor I heard a while ago. But, I digress. Uh, the percentile system, right? Um, and you can change the this percentile system with basically any of the dice that you need. Uh, but you allow a player to control a section of combat. You don't let them run as a fighting group all by themselves. Uh, unless you are doing so for narrative reasons, and I'll get into that later. Uh, but you have each player be a commander of a section of the army. Now, obviously, the armies can range from huge, gigantic armies in the hundreds of thousands to 30 men. You know I mean, somewhere somewhere like that. So the entire army is like 150 people or something, right? Uh, which is still, IRL, a good number of men to be fighting a big fight. Uh, giving them control of those areas allows them to roll their percentage die, right? And you, as the DM, assign modifiers and negatives depending on positioning. Uh, character's luck, which is basically, like, something they would roll at the beginning of combat. Uh, and or if they have, like, lucky feats or things like that that augment their quote-unquote luck. It gets better. Uh, and you assign them a percentage for victory and a percentage for how many people they have to lose, right? And they you roll for the enemies, they roll for themselves... Uh, and the difference between your two rolls uh, goes into a, uh, what's the what's the right term? Basically, whichever one is higher obviously wins that round. Uh, and whatever is extra above your opponent goes into whatever that meter is you need to fill to get the win. So again, you could replace this with D12s or things like that because the two rolls basically cancel each other out. And once you hit your goal, that section is defeated, so they have to retreat, or they're all dead, depending on what your quote-unquote terms for victory would be. Um, that's a system. Younger, you have another one, right? If I remember correctly. So, um, you mean for, like, large-scale battle, or, like, yeah, yeah. mob? No, no, no. Large-scale battle, not mob battle. Well, I mean, a lot of times, I kind of, I, I kind of do it I guess you would say similar to the DMG, like paid 250 or whatever, um, like mob rules a little bit. But um, you can do things from a more like strategic angle, I guess you could say, because everybody, you, not everybody, some people play D&D and other TTRPGs like without a battle map at all, and they just talk through it. Um, and I think that whenever you do large-scale combat, sometimes that's a little bit better way on how to do it, because not everybody has a giant you know massive like four tables large you know battle map area uh to play on so maybe have a small map drawn or like a picture of an area um you know that you could send to everybody and basically be like hey this is the area that you're in um like maybe it's you're defending a city and stuff like that um and i usually do it in a way of like making it so that okay well if I do use a battle map, it would be like every five feet now represents 30 feet, you know, of an area. And so making it so that if you want to move forward, it's going to be like, it's going to take this many turns, you know, you'll only move two squares as opposed to moving like 10 or whatever. Um, and so that's one simple way to do it is just simply talking through it, you know, like, describing the area basically set your guys in whatever position that they were able to get into maybe since most of the time they have a little bit of prep time they can go and prepare like 
the same as they would for like if they had 10 minutes to prepare something. So the wizard gets to cast his super awesome spell that he never gets to cast. The thief gets to set up all the traps that he never gets to use and stuff. And then you can basically roll counter checks um, for the enemies and stuff like that. You know, and then I usually u- utilize a percentage like system too with D10s. Nice. All right, uh, jumping down to Ruby. Ruby, you got any fun systems to, to throw in there for possible things for uh, mass combat that aren't directly from oh. a book? Or or if you have an example from a system that you played that you really liked. Oh, yeah, and uh, Younger touched on a lot of great points of things that I've used in the past, like uh, Theater of the Mind, for sure, is probably our go-to most of the time, just among my friends group. And when we're playing is what we primarily use but never use miniatures and uh you know that can be very dynamic and uh it puts you in the battle but you don't have to sit and focus on all the details of the battle and i think that mode is the least uh the least confusing or the least stressful for people who don't want to necessarily do strategy gaming or mass combat i myself am a huge strategy gamer though i love stuff like that and have over the years worked on many different techniques and homebrew systems for uh, doing mass combat to add tactics and make it something where you can move chits around. Uh, One particular one I liked to use was basically it was just boiling down the take like the average character sheet for a soldier. And now you, you use those same modifiers for the unit but what you do is you multiply uh, instead of the soldier having, say, 12 hit points, the unit has 12 hit dice, you know, and the damage inflicted is in hit dice, not hit points. And so you're like just scaling it up and using the same exact system as you would use for your characters in a normal combat. But now they represent units, you know, that's a fun one to go with when you're dealing with small, like 10, 10 to 30 man units and, and not massive armies <laughs> like that. Um, when you get much bigger scale, uh, I think it just kind of varies based on the DM and the players and the play style, you know, on what you want to use. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings. It was it Legend of the Five Rings you were talking about? Rook? Yeah, yep, yep. Legend of the Five Rings. Is that the uh, Oriental one? Or? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're in yeah, I thought, uh, yep, yeah, I mean, we have that book and stuff. I've never read the mass combat rules in it, though, so I should check those out. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're kind yeah. of cool because they talk about like uh, uh, being able to augment the morale of your, your fighting force. Uh, because, yeah. you, know, you know, in real combat, when the enemy breaks... Yeah, morale uh, that, is everything. Exactly. Uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily kill everyone to win. You can... Uh, but that isn't really a good use of resources for people that are trying to, you know, keep people safe. Yeah. It's much better for them. Well, to run, and then uh, my run final example ball. really is um, uh, when uh, again the same the same guy on roll twenty that was a young inexperienced DM. Uh, I ended up leaving his group because he he was a little bit too railroady, you know, which I don't mind. And you know, he had a preset campaign in mind, but. He had some bad habits that uh, couldn't get corrected, and and I had to leave his group. But he uh, really inspired me that even young new DMs and new role players can come up with just revolutionary ideas. He did a mass combat during his campaign, 
And instead of like worrying about uh, each each character got to like control one unit in the army while we did the battle, and instead of worrying about like oh, you know the wizard's not necessarily good at leading men into combat, he actually had each character decide when he asked you know your declaration phase of what you're gonna what orders you're gonna be giving. He actually had them decide how they were enacting those orders. You know, one person used like diplomacy with his men and was able to win them over. And another person, you know, uh, I think I was the warrior. So I actually was using like tactics. And then I don't remember the very specific uh, skills that each person used, but it, he made it very versatile and customized where the thief, like uh, I think uh, Younger was mentioning, you know, the thief was able to use some of his tactics in stealth and ambushing, you know, and and uh, the wizard able to use some of his spells. And so it really brought a personalized touch to the mass combat, which I thought was a cool thing, too. Nice. Okay, I'm going to jump to Lawrence really quick. We're going to save Iron for last. Lawrence, you got anything to add? Ideas, thoughts, things you've used in the past? You've had any experience with the mass combat side of things? Not really a whole lot of experience on the mass combat side of things, but I do plan something in the future. Um, maybe ideas like um, terrain adjustments, like high ground versus you know bottom of the hill, or um, maybe some units are better at, up to their knees in water than others, or... Um, Marines versus typical soldiers. Of course, Marines are going to have the advantage in the water kind of thing. Maybe, uh, oh, terrain not being so, like, not mattering so much to maybe a group of archers versus a bunch of foot soldiers. Um, uh, mounted combatants moving around the field faster and at sharper angles. And, well, not, not so much sharper angles, but broader angles versus sharper angles versus foot soldiers. And, um, Shield tactics, maybe charisma bonuses from the uh, commander. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be listening really hard to everything you guys have to say on this <laughs> nah, stuff. Cause... That, was, that was a great list. I wish I would have written Sounds it down. Sounds like you want to get can, into the nitty-gritty of it, though. <laughs> I 100% can give you numbers on all those things. Iron, what about you? You got any, any ideas? Additionals? Things like that? So, I, I haven't done any large-scale combat yet, but mm -hmm. in... The campaign I'm running now, I, I plan on having one. So, I, like, it didn't even actually cross my mind until you guys were talking about about putting your characters in charge of units. The way I'm planning on doing it is um, they're going to be going into battle with, a, like, a friendly group, and they're going to be fighting orcs. So the, like, it's, it's kind of movie-esque. Like, you know how, like, people, like, you're watching a movie, and people are in a battle, and all of a sudden, like, they, like no one's touching them they have like this oh their own little area where they can kind of do whatever and like i was going to put the group in their own like little spot inside the battle and just kind of throw orcs at them um you know a group at a time kind of increasing in difficulty until um you know i have i have a preset amount of waves and when they've beaten the waves or or they're beaten the battle ends um and whether or not they are able to make it through the waves determines if they win or lose the battle um okay. <clears throat> so yeah like it's kind of like it's it's like small scale combat inside a large scale battle but I, like i said i haven't used that system so i'm not going to speak to whether or not it's a it's a good idea so 
I actually have used that system. I was going to say, that segues into my next bit perfectly. So, Younger, save, save what you're thinking. <laughs> so, uh, segue from that point, right? So, there is the secondary style of combat, which is the cinematic style of, hey, here's the heroes in a small group, and you treat that like regular combat. You have the battle in the background, and you either roll percentile or numbers to see how the battle's going your favor or not. Uh, as just kind of a, hey, in the background, this is what's going on. Because you, as heroes, can completely change the battle. You might be the only survivors of the fight, if you're that important kind of thing. You know, the rest of the army is wiped out, and you're fighting waves on waves. To add some uh, dimension to that, uh, maybe with those roles, uh, this is just a suggestion for you, Iron. Uh, if you have background roles to see how the battle's doing, and it's not just uh, cinematic... Uh, you can throw in the how many waves that they have to finish. Depends on how well their allies are doing in the fight. If their allies are getting stomped, they're going to have higher waves to deal with. Or stronger waves to deal with. And if they uh, are, you know, kick a butt and take a name, so they'll have less waves but harder enemies. Um, okay, yeah, that's, that's an idea. I, so, so just to kind of throw something in there, too. Mm -hmm. um, there are important NPCs in the in the army that they're fighting with like there's like really important side characters and i was going to time their rounds and see how long it took them to to beat the orcs and if they took too long i'm not sure what the threshold was going to be yet but if they took too long then the important npcs would start dying off you know like one at a time and if they you know they took way too long like they could potentially be the only ones left nice terrifying and make sure your players know that ahead of time if that is the system you're going to use um, don't surprise them with it. <laughs> but I would, I would add even that, uh, you know, it's what he described as a good way to, uh, bring in, fuck, you know, oh, sorry, uh, to, uh, bring in, uh, enemy NPCs during the fight too, that you, your characters can fight and, uh, have that extra challenge during the mundane hack and slash. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, back to back to the, the circle of heroes is what I'm going to call it just because that's easier than saying cinematic style. Whatever. Um, in my brain it is. It's, it makes sense to me. Uh, the other thing you can think about and do uh, is your heroes might burst through the would-be battle area. You know, they're on some crazy cart or they're just good fighters, or they breach the city, or whatever they're defending or attacking uh, ahead of the rest of the army. Uh, and that would explain why they are cut off, quote-unquote, from the actual army itself, and why they're not integrated with it. Um, so just for setup ideas, uh, send them on their own mission, right? And maybe the mission, if they're, let's, let's say they're attacking a city, again, I don't know how you're set up with this. Uh, but if they're attacking a city, they had to sneak in beforehand, and are on the other side of the wall, right? And their objective is to open the gates. The rest of the army can, you know, fight their way in. Uh, and while they're opening the gates, they're fighting through their waves, more or less. Even if it isn't necessarily waves. Uh, you could also not have it be waves and just have it be an NPC... Uh, not NPC, sorry. A regular, like, dungeon crawl-esque, right? Because you're sneaking through a city or something like that. Uh, and just have the battle in the background to explain how it's going. And if you're worried about a timer, right, drop the, the role mechanics and just be like, the longer you guys take, the the, you know, the more people die. Um, 
And that could be an interesting way of doing it, that style as well. Because um, then it's completely cinematic, independent on how they're doing, time-wise. Uh, and go from there. Now, Younger, you had something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you talk and shut up for a minute. So, uh, please. Yeah. What'd you get? Uh, what I really enjoy about the cinematic way of, like, playing these battles is you can, as the DM, like, literally do it however you want. Like, you might have done rolls before the combat. You already know that the combat's a complete failure. That, like, depending on the scale of the city. Like, if it's a small village, you know, it'll it'll be pretty easy for your guys just to be like, oh, yeah, well, then I go over and I run over to this other spot to go support my troops. But we're not talking about, like, the mile-wide city that you then have to, like... And there's an entire battle going on. Like, you're not going to be able to go and run and help the guy who's super far away, you know, from you. So the battle can be won or lost before you even start. Or you can give your characters the opportunity to be that giant sway in the battle or have a counterattack. You know, um, you, you have the leniency to be able to be like, oh, yeah, the entire city was, you know, destroyed. Like, you guys won your entire area, but you defended your small section of wall, but it was breached on all the other sides. They're already killing the king, stretching them up on poles, you know? Or, like, and so it's always good to, like, give your characters, like, a, like hey, th like, this is what's happening here, but quick cinematic story. Oh, yeah, you just witnessed the bridge collapse over here, or the enemies climbed over the walls, or you notice that the castle's burning. To um, bring, bring up a story, uh, kind of on those veins, sorry to interrupt, Younger. Do you remember uh, when Jerkson fell in Jake, the, the first time in your campaign? Do you remember that at all? Oh, I'd need a refresher on Jerkson. Okay, so Jerkson was a random castled city uh, that was kind of supposed to be a joke on Troy because it was impenetrable, yada, 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 no one could get in. Uh, and the heroes arrived there because there was a massive army that was coming in to, to finish storming Jerkson, right? Um, and when they arrived, you know, they were like, oh, we're going to help, everything's going to be fine. And they come to find that the Jerkson had been starved for an excessive amount of time. Like, they hadn't had any supplies in two or three months, so people were just dying left and right from starvation. And then the enemies actually attacked. Uh, and during the attack, they went and defended those breaches in the walls that occurred and stuff like that, and they did the best they could, right? This is, But uh, the city still fell, and most of the citizenry was killed off. And it was a 100% an example to show those players, because I think at that point they were level 15 or something like that. They haven't lost a fight in forever. You know, they weren't touched in the combat, but they still lost. And it was their first, like, group loss. Um, regardless of what they rolled, you can use massive combats like that to show that your characters aren't all powerful. Um, and this is going to relate back into player meltdown, because, younger, I don't know if you remember... But a couple of our party members uh, had some major meltdowns about not being able to save the city, where their their superpowers, their badassery, was not enough to save more than... I think we saved 100 people or something silly, of a city of 10,000. Like, paladins only have so many healing spells. Right, exactly, and that's what it came down to. You know, our, our healer could only do so much, our magic people could do so much. And I mean, heck, our magic people did great because they opened a portal, and, uh, you know, held it open long enough for 100... Uh, people to escape you know and some of that include the soldiers that fought with us and stuff like that and they got this big cinematic 
the walls falling down and Jerkson crushing on top of itself and all kinds of other stuff, right? And it was just used as a cinematic, you failed, right? Um, no, no matter what you did, you were going to, you were going to fail, right? You were given the choice to feel like you were winning and then it was cut out from under you. And this led to player meltdown at the table. They were very upset. Hey, a subscriber. Hello. Thank you. Uh, and sorry, distracted here. Got the, got the ADHD brain. Uh, and this led to them being upset. Right. And these are people I've been playing with for, I think at that point it was a year. Into the campaign? At least. At least, yeah. Um, you know, they might have been a little lower level than that. But again, they were super badass and it wasn't, you know, not something they should have lost if it was only determined by their stuff. Uh, so, when they had their meltdowns, uh, the solution to the problem, right, was explaining to them that they are not actually gods. Um, because, right. <laughs> because in D&D, frequently, uh, our players... Right, will learn that they are super strong, demigod, yada yada. No one can touch them, but every once in a while, you have to remind them it's not always them that are getting touched. Excuse me, children. Um, <laughs> they uh, they are not always the target, right? And sometimes they needed to be reminded that even though they are super badass, the random citizenry have four hit points. They die from stuff. They don't have the protection of the gods to save them. Um, and, as a note, right, this this will generally cause that player meltdown. But not the loud, flip-the-table kind. 100% it goes back to that quiet malice that they start planning and plotting and being upset about in the future. Oh, excuse me, sorry. Um, so, to avoid this, right... Uh, and this is from personal experience. Let your players know, either when it's after the battle, or maybe before the battle. Well, probably not before battle if you don't want to ruin it for them, but after the battle, right? Post-session, whatever else. Talk to your players and be like, look, that was not a winnable battle. Here's why we why it had to happen, because yada yada. Um, now, are all players going to like that and the reasoning that goes into it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but at least we'll give them a reason, and they will understand why it happened. They don't have to like the why, but they'll understand the why. Um, but I do encourage doing things like that. to If you get a group that is just that, they can't be stopped because they're super badasses, throw a Doom City at them. Um, and make it very apparent that they are doomed. Again, we talked about how the, the Jerkson had been starved for three months or something silly, and a whole bunch of the citizenry was just dead from starvation. Uh, should have been one of their first big cues. Also, the the fact that the enemy army that they were fighting uh, was the had the same uh, numbers as the total citizenry of the of the town itself. You know, just a ridiculously huge army. Which, by the way, uh, the wizard at the time just flamed to death and took a firestorm to him or something silly. You know, wiped out a whole bunch of them. Um, but I think I remember this Everest going and burning down the whole tower. Uh, was that? Yeah, I think so. The entire street in the tower. Yeah, that's. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, I think the wizard cast tidal wave on like a huge portion of the army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Upscaled it, all that fun stuff. Uh, and it, they did tons of damage. I mean, they were they were still heroes. Uh, they just didn't get to save the day because it was a doom city. Um. So, I'm gonna now jump 
jump back to you guys and things. Uh, and and re-jump into Player Meltdown for a few more minutes here. Um, starting with Ruby. Ruby, what's something at one of your tables that has caused that Player Meltdown? We, we talked about what it is and how to deal with it a little bit. But what have you seen in your experience cause said player meltdowns? What what generally makes people lose their junk? Uh, that question is pretty complex, I suppose. I mean, in regards to mass combat, uh, my statement would be that uh, you know generally we play role playing games for the immersion and the role playing, and that's why. I, I kind of side with younger how, you know, if I'm playing D&D or another role-playing game and mass combat ensues, nine times out of ten, I'm going to go with theater of the mind or some form of that, even if I am giving a lot of control to the players uh, as far as tactics or whatnot. I'm not going to break out the battle maps and make it nitty-gritty because people play D&D not to play strategy games. And, uh, again, if you want to play strategy games there's so many that do it so well one in particular i love to play is called greyhawk wars takes place in the dnd setting has really great rules and you get to basically do global combat on that in that one uh but uh even shrinking it down to you know individual battles and stuff uh most people who are playing a tabletop rpg don't want to get too engrossed in rulers and stuff like that uh also on that point it is like he was discussing hard to uh control the outcome of that battle as a dm because you're making moves tactically on a battle board where things may turn out in a way where you may unintentionally be taking the ability for the players to change the outcome away from them or uh even uh unintentionally you know missing out on something that you had planned during the battle because you were focused so much on the individual tactical movements of, of uh, pieces on a board. And so, yeah, theater of mind is what I would go for mine 90% of the time. And that, that in itself, the uh, switching away from that is what I think can cause meltdown in that circumstance. I don't really have a lot of good examples of meltdown at my table because the people I've been playing with uh, we've been playing for like 20 years together. And so, you know, most of the time, if we have an argument, it gets settled pretty quick. Uh, on Roll20, however, there has been, yeah, a few different examples. So I'll, I'll just give one as a player. There was a paladin in the group, and uh, he had just joined the group. And uh, ironically, it's just with, with the same inexperienced DM that we had, that I've been talking about tonight. And, uh, the DM obviously wanted us to, we dealt with these goblins and we were supposed to kind of move on with the adventure by investigating further into uh, what we were doing. And this paladin got hung up on, we let one of the goblins live. And after interrogating him, we were going to just let him go. And he was like, you know, well, I want to kill him. And he's a, he was a paladin and he's evil and I'm good. So I want to kill him. And my guy was like, well, I gave my word. And so I let the goblin go. And then the paladin, like, actually went player versus player and tried to, like, attack me, 
you know, and or arrest me, you know, and and in the end, he ended up getting booted from the group because he was being completely ridiculous with his meltdown. That he didn't once he didn't get his way, he just did not want to participate in what the DM wanted or anybody wanted, you know. That's mine. That's that's a pretty good example. Yeah, right. We've had a number of player versus player, or at least character versus character, uh, confrontations. Because that's what my player would do. I hear those words and I cringe. Um, and not for the uh, social media cringe because I, I hear have, those words. I have a wonderful Bad experience. example. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Um, How dare you? I, <laughs> the number one thing that I've seen that gets players super mad. I even get mad for other people if it happens to them is like um like and it like a particular individual you know if if they didn't necessarily do anything wrong besides like walk into a city no check you know just going off passives you know they're like oh no i'm missing this like oh you're missing an item from your inventory like if somebody steals your horse or your carriage that's one thing you know but it's like when somebody goes and take something randomly out of your inventory that's just like man i didn't even make a check like what that i've seen that cause a many people <laughs> yeah you're, you're, if you're gonna call me out like that just just say so jeez <laughs> <laughs> all right uh all i at least give a check is all i'm saying i just i just politely ask for what your passive uh perception score is <laughs> And then you lose all the things regardless. All right, Iron. Yeah, I so I had one. Um, and this actually kind of ties into what you were saying about heroes realizing that they're not, you know, all that. Like, they can lose. Um, I had a party. It was a fairly low-level party. They were, like, three or four. And they, they hadn't had a really hard time in combat yet. And they had just beaten, a, I think, a basilisk. And they were going through a dungeon. And... For some reason, I don't know what got in her head, but my sorcerer was like bored somehow. I don't, I don't know how. So she just started like, "Well, I'm gonna run into every room by myself." Like she stopped checking for traps. She stopped like all caution was gone. And so I was like, "Okay, you run into a room, and out of the ground burls a couple of ank eggs, you know, like, and they attack. They they throw." you know, they spit acid at you and like, they start burning your skin and she like immediately started dying and she like lost it. She was like, what? That's, that's unfair. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, um, you did it. <laughs> like, so yeah, yeah. I think that's usually when players start acting dumb and like, they kind of, you know, bring down some like God wrath on themselves. That's, that's the only like kind of mini meltdown that I've seen. It do suck when the con when when you fuck around and find out all in the same day. Yeah. All right, uh, uh, Lawrence. Sorry, yeah, Iron already talked. <laughs> you got any fun stories for us, or not so fun stories? I should say. Um, it's a little bit character envy. A little bit, my character would do this. Um, okay. See, I had a, a druid player and a warlock player. And of course, the druid could only cast speak with animals a handful of times between rests. 
and the warlock could pick up an invocation and do it as much as they wanted. They were like, well, how is that possible? I'm a druid, you know? And the druid was neutral good, and the warlock was neutral evil, and his patron was the fiendish patron. So every time he used speak with animals, um, it I could see that she was a little bit visibly upset. And it wasn't always the context of what he was doing, even though he was doing some pretty bad stuff. He would like talk to the animals and use his persuasive skills to like make them set off traps and stuff, but um, which she hated. But it transferred over into like I had little side quests for him for his patron, you know, desecrate this stone or, you know, uh, kill this person or whatever. And uh, she would find whatever means to figure it out and get in the way every time. And there was the whole, well, my character wouldn't allow that. It's like, well, you're always buttoning in, trying to figure out what he's up to. You are not there, that kind of stuff. A little bit character envy, a little bit my character would do this kind of stuff. It it was mostly their first time, so they weren't really big on uh, the rules of meta and stuff. But, you know, some meta is cool, some meta is not. But, um, yeah, a little bit button heads. And uh, they would base it off their alignment, but it was more, I don't like that you can do this and so on. Excellent points. Yeah, I mean, that happens quite often. Um, so, gentlemen, I'm going to open it up for final rounds, discussions, thoughts. Again, this was kind of a an interesting combo to, to focus on, player meltdown caused by introducing uh, large large combat. And uh, kind of forgot to, to do the main point and be like, the reason that you would feel, uh, or the reason I've seen players feel meltdowns from uh, introducing this mass combat is their lack of power as a group, right? Um, we kind of talked about it in the story, but when they have that meltdown, it's generally because you have taken something away from them. When you give them that they're in control of every unit and then they get their roll, they can blame the dice. Uh, but when they are off by themselves, kicking butt and taking names, and then they lose, uh, you, they, they will almost always be devastated. You know, you might have a cool group. You know, could be wrong. But uh, generally... Uh, that is what is going to happen, unfortunately. Um, I have something important to mention. Of course! Please, please. Okay, as we, you know, all or mostly play D&D, we understand that uh, there, there is Unearthed Arcana. They also have rules for mass combat. Um, some of which are things that you guys mentioned already. Like, you know, having your characters act as a part of a unit. There's a particular section of it that talks about that. You want to talk about how morale affects a unit. They have that. I think it's garbage, so I would not use it. Uh, you know? And then it even has, like, lower, like, risk table, like, movements, you know, across the board. You know, where it's like, oh, yes, this unit has this much movement, and it can move here like a chess piece. Garbage. Um, but... I think, you know, if you look at the very end of it, like page five or whatever, um, that has some good stuff that you don't have to implement everything, but 
especially since under the arcana it's not like technically like rule setting but it's definitely something you could look at gain further inspiration from or a little bit more i guess you could say structure you know if that's what you want or if your players like structure all of that is very important i'm gonna move on though so we can wrap this up pretty quick iron you got anything last minute thoughts I would just say as a note to players, like if you are in a kind of situation with when it comes to large scale combat and like you lose because you're supposed to lose, like like what you were talking about with um the city that was supposed to be destroyed. Don't melt down like you know, like it, even when bad things happen in, in stories, like they can still be good stories. Like, you know, if you trust your DM, like try to roll with it and like you know, like, cause like if I, if I made an army lose, I wouldn't just do it because I think it's funny. Like I would do it for a reason. Um, and you know, so I would just, you know, kind of relax. That would, that would be my last note. Relax. Don't have a meltdown. I like that. Lawrence. Oh, I spaced it. Um, but yeah, don't melt down. Just. Just have fun being a part of the story, and uh, if it doesn't go your way, you have your character swear vengeance in a kind to the table kind of way or something. Nice. All right, and last but not least, our star guest to finish us off. Again, final thoughts, and then if you will repeat the name of your website, which you guys do, all that fun stuff, and then I'll do my last minute plugs, and we'll get out of here. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I think everybody made great points tonight. And, uh, yeah, above all else, you know, any system you're playing, it's about, it's a game and it's about having fun. And it's not, it's important for DMs out there and players to not get caught up too much in the eccentricities of rule systems or anything. It doesn't always matter what modifiers or systems you're using, just that you are using something, you know, and it's not as important. you know, whether this is perfect or that is perfect, you know, just that you're having fun and that you're going with the flow more importantly than anything else. And uh, our website is uh, actiongamesrpg.com. We are Action Games Publishing. We do supplements for uh, stuff. Our main products that we've that I've uh, highlighted a lot on TikTok are our hardcore rules one and two and our main book, which is a supplement for like uh kind of like a grand theft auto like campaign is called gangland it's a pretty interesting setting and uh you, you've got lots of different products out there some strategy gaming some role playing and free stuff on our website monsters and magic items nice well uh time for my quick pitch um for those of you on Twitch, you get to see what I made. I showed it a couple times. So we've printed our first official tower. Turned out pretty good. Uh, now I just got to paint it for the customer. Wahaha. Um, but 3D printing's up and running. Started, started at the beginning of this month. Um, what else? We have stuff on thir- or stuff on Monday and Thursday this coming week. So we'll have D&D Monday uh, and Lancer on Thursday. And then uh, our code for 10% off the website for you know the month. I, I finally... Got around to updating it, and it's no longer Turkey 907. It is now Santa 907. Uh, this time it's all caps, though. So if you want 10% off anything off the store, that includes dice, services, stuff like that, 
Uh, check it out. Get you ten percent off. All that fun stuff. Um. Yeah. That's it. Um. Trying to think of any last minute thoughts or anything else I need to plug before we escape. I think that's good. Go good though. Jeez, brain work. Thank you everyone for being here, and I hope you all have a wonderful night. Okie dokie out of chokey. That was tonight's stuff and things. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a great time. Uh, everyone there seemed to have a good time. So again, check out our guest stuff. They cool peeps. Uh, and then again, in case I mumbled through it, Santa 907 is this month's code for 10% off on the website. Anyway, hope you all have a wonderful night. And with adventure in mind, have a wonderful time.